All right, we're back for another episode of the Fried Egg Podcast. Um, this week we are talking with John Cavalier. Um, he is the famed Twitter and Instagram account, Linked Gems. Um, many of you probably already follow him on Twitter. If you don't, definitely recommend checking him out. He takes spectacular photos of golf courses and is a uh, self-proclaimed golf junkie. So we're going to talk golf, um, photography, golf course architecture, and uh, you know, kind of golf courses tonight. So, John, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Andy, it's my pleasure. I'm a big fan. Thank you for uh, for having me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think uh, you know the thing that everybody would love to know is uh, you know a little bit about the man behind Lynx Gems. I'll give you uh, as uh, as best I can. Um, so uh, I'm a full-time lawyer. That uh, that career tends to pay the bills. Uh, I'm based out of Philly. I work for a, a rather large law firm uh, doing labor and employment work, uh, litigation and trial work, uh, which is interesting and uh, keeps the lights on at home. Uh, and uh, on the side, obviously, I play a lot of golf. I'm based out of Philly, so uh, I like to... Uh, get back and check in on the courses uh, in my hometown and the surrounding areas, um, but I also travel a lot, both for work and for fun, and uh, when I do, I, uh, I certainly like to see the uh, the golf that other areas of the country have to offer, but uh, that really sums it up. Born and raised in Philly, uh, uh, that's, that's Lynx Jams in a nutshell. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into golf, and... Um... When when did you just when did you start taking pictures? Were you always into photography, or was it something that kind of came later in life? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Both the golf and the photography came rather late, or at least later than most people, I guess. Uh, I didn't play golf until late in college. Um, I had never played the game growing up. Uh, for handicap purposes, I certainly wish that I'd started earlier now, uh, but such is life. Um, first round of golf I ever played uh, was uh, a round that was set up by uh, my father's boss uh, at a course near here called Hartfeld National. Uh, they had a guy drop out and were desperately scrambling to fill out the foursome. Uh, so they asked me if I wanted to tag along and play. And, you know, growing up, I was always a baseball, football, basketball kind of guy, you know, the core sports and considering myself, uh, you know, a wannabe athlete in the, uh, the regular sports, so to speak. And uh, frankly, it always kind of looked down at golf uh, as both a, a recreational thing and a, a professional thing. I never watched it on TV, never really got into it. Uh, so I, I sort of begrudgingly agreed to go tag along with these guys and, uh, and see what uh, golf was all about, thinking both that I would be bored out of my mind and that it would be the easiest sport that I'd ever played. Uh, and obviously, I was wrong on both counts. Um, shot 126. I uh, still remember that uh, very clearly. <laughs> and was absolutely hooked from the very first hole. I mean, you hear people talk about getting bit with the golf bug. It bit me, and it bit me hard. From that point on, I think since then, I have been playing as much as I humanly possibly can, uh, getting out constantly. Um, and it's been great because it's given uh, my father and I a common ground and a common thing to do together. Uh, which is obviously a big benefit uh, that I think a lot of people share in the game of golf. So that started me off, and now, since uh, I guess I'm getting older here, that was about 15 years ago. 
uh, and uh, I've been playing ever since. The photography came much, much later, at least as it relates to golf. I've always been somewhat interested in photography. I mean, I've never, never taken classes or done anything, you know, official with respect to uh, the photography. But it's always been something that's it's been an interest of mine um, that I casually pursue. I mean, I've always owned a camera. I take it with me on vacations, annoy my wife, you know, things like that. But uh, the two had two didn't really combine seriously until about three, four years ago, uh, when for whatever reason I happened to have a camera with me when I was going to play a, uh, a particular golf course. I don't even remember which one it was. But uh, I took some pictures while I was there. Uh, they came out fairly well, so I posted them online and got a nice response. And even more than that, I realized that taking the photos and having them actually heightened my enjoyment of the round uh, and and allowed me to experience the the joy of playing a really nice new golf course over a longer period of time. Um, So it was nice to be able to go back and sort of relive some of the course and look at the photos and see see things that I might have missed. And it also makes the round itself a little more enjoyable because I'm looking for certain things while I play and shoot that I might not otherwise be looking for or care about. depending on how on or off my actual golf game is on a given day. You know, if you're, if you're playing well and hitting it down the middle, you have a tendency to ignore a, a lot of the course that you might otherwise see. So, in any event, four or five years ago, three, four years ago, I started taking some photos here and there, uh, and since then, it's, it's the, the response to the, fo- the photos I've taken and to sharing them online and on various websites has been extraordinarily positive, which is certainly an encouragement to keep it going. So uh, I've been doing it since then, and uh, really been getting a kick out of it since. Um, it's, been, it's been nice. So so with the photos, I mean, you know, you started and you're, you're an average Joe like all of us, and, you know, what are like some of the easy... Very much so. Yeah, so, what, you know, obviously, where, what the pictures you post now, you know, for somebody, even for me, I take pictures around a golf course. I, I, I'm colorblind. I'm kind of an idiot, so I, I'm not, I'm not good at taking pictures. I, you know, some things I've picked up are elevation. You know, I watch for light, but I don't really know what I'm doing. But what are some like really easy things that you did that you saw drastic jumps with your, you know, abilities of taking pictures? That's actually another really good question. Um, the first thing I will tell you is that the practice is invaluable. Um, especially when I was just kicking this off, uh, I would shoot a ton of photos, and I still do. Um, and after the fact, when you review them, you see what works better than other things, what photos came out nicer than others, and you start to realize some commonalities between them and you learn why certain photos look better than others and why some come out looking like crap. Uh, and even now, I, I probably throw half of the photos that I take on a given day in the, uh, the virtual trash can, so to speak, because they didn't come out well uh, for one reason or another. So it's definitely a learning process and practice is, is obviously a key point uh, of, of that learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, it's you know, photography is really just all about capturing light in the right way. So once you learn how light interacts with whatever camera you're using, it goes a long way towards understanding why certain photos look nice and others don't. Uh, and unfortunately, 
to the extent we're outdoors, we don't really have control over the light. So there are going to be days where the light is bad and you're going to come home with an entire roll of pretty mediocre photos. There's other days where it's perfect and you can't possibly take a bad shot. So some of it is out of your hands. Um, with respect to, to taking pictures of certain things that you can you can look back on and, and determine whether you like or not, I, I like to experiment with different angles and, and different perspectives that you don't usually see. Most people you, you see online, they stand on the tee box, they take a photo, they stand in the middle of the fairway, they take a photo of the green, maybe they get up close to the green, they take a picture. It's sort of one, two, three in a row of, of the natural progression of a golf hole. The biggest thing I would recommend as part of the practice is just to get off the straight line path and, and do some things that are different. Shoot, shoot from behind the green with the pin in the center of the frame, looking back up the fairway. Shoot from inside of a bunker. Get down low and shoot the green surface so that you can see how the green rolls and moves. Um, shoot at different times of day. Uh, obviously, the best time of day, I think, to shoot is in the hour or so before sunset, but dawn is a wonderful time. Um, depending on how the clouds look on a given day, you can get out there in the brightest part of the afternoon and get some really neat shots. But the point is, you, you really need to learn what works for your own eye. Uh, and the only way to do that, at least in my, in, in my sphere of knowledge here, is to shoot a ton of photos, shoot as many as you can, as often as you can, in as many different conditions as you can. And sooner or later, you, you, you will learn what you like and what the people you share your photos with like. Uh, and it, it becomes easier over time. I generally know now, as soon as I step on the first tee, if I have my camera with me, whether it's going to be a good day for photos or whether they're going to come out looking like crap. Um, and that just comes with shooting a ton of photos over time. So do you uh, carry, like when you say you're, you're going out to play, do you carry like a, is it a bigger camera or is it a smaller one, or do you use your phone a lot of times? Uh, you know, if you're if you're playing with say four buddies or three buddies. So it depends where I'm playing. Um, if I'm heading down to the club to play around, or I'm going to a course that I played a hundred times or that I already have photos of, I'll usually just carry my phone. But if I'm going to a place where I know I'm going to want to take photos, especially if it's a new course that I've never played. Uh, or if it's a course that I know is going to lend itself really well to photos, I'll, I'll bring my camera. And I usually do try to bring my camera to, to most of the places that I go. I don't shoot with a big camera. I don't shoot with a DSLR. I have one, but I shoot the majority of my photos while I'm playing. Uh, and you, you obviously can't carry a uh, around-the-neck DSLR when you're playing around the golf. Yeah. So I shoot with a, with a Sony uh, Mark V. Uh, DSC 100, which is a, a very small point-and-shoot camera that fits in your pocket. Um, you can stick it in your, your pants pocket or your short pocket while you're playing and easily play around the golf without it bothering you, uh, and it takes terrific photos. Uh, it's the camera that I recommend to everyone. Uh, it's not the cheapest camera you're ever going to see for point-and-shoot, but it is absolutely tremendous for, for golf photos and for photos of, uh, of whatever you want to shoot. Uh -huh. uh, it's really terrific. There are, I guess, a few occasions where I'll, I'll, and I could probably count them on one hand over the last five years, where I've shot golf with, with the big DSLR. Um, I don't think it makes much of a difference. You know, if somebody hired me to go to their golf course to shoot photos, that's probably the camera that I'd use just because it gives me maximum flexibility, uh, both with the camera and in terms of 
editing the shots afterwards. But I'm playing around the golf. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not lugging that thing around with me, and I'm not going back out after the round. I shoot 95 percent of my photos while I'm playing golf. I think that's the way to do it. It's like a I've noticed, you know, I'm trying to up my game with with the pictures, but I've noticed that the first round where I started taking lots of pictures and trying to play with buddies, it was it was so hard. You know, you're like you're you're running around the golf course. I felt like I walked two eighteens, you know, and my buddies are you know out running ahead of me and i'm like slow down you know it, it's uh it took a little time but now i feel like once you get used to it, it you you become like a pro and you're kind of out ahead of everybody absolutely and that's another thing that practice will help with the more you do it the, the more natural the whole process seems and the, the easier it comes you know, one of the things that when i'm doing this my my number one cardinal rule when i'm out shooting golf is don't slow the group down and don't annoy the people that I'm playing with. So I'm, I'm a very fast golfer anyway. I know everybody says that, but uh, I, I play golf to the point that it's probably hurting my game. I play so quick. I just don't have much tolerance for slow golf. It's actually, a, you know, sort of a pet peeve of mine. So I, I've been getting used to doing this. It's, it's very easy for me to both hit my ball and take photos and still easily keep up with most people that I play with. Um, if you if you find yourself slowing down your group, uh, not only are you going to take photos that probably don't live up to your uh, your own expectations, but you're going to play poor golf. And to me, that sort of defeats the purpose. I mean, I'm out there first and foremost to play an enjoyable round of golf with the people that I'm with. If taking photos is cutting into that, I'd stop taking the photos. I mean it's important to keep your priorities straight. I mean, really, it is about the golf, not necessarily about the photos. So if the photos, I guess, what I'm trying to say is the photos are very much a byproduct of a round of golf. They're not the primary reason there. So I try very hard to make sure that that perspective remains in place. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good one to uh, keep. It's um, So we got a ton of great uh, questions in from Twitter uh and I wanted to make this one a little different where we kind of just go through the questions and, and let that kind of guide the conversation and we can get on tangents, uh, you know, galore from these questions. So uh, the first one is from uh, Kyle, and he just wants to know, and I, I saw somebody seconded this, um, how on earth are you able to see and play so many great courses? <laughs> So that's obviously a good question, um, and I'll, I'll answer it this way. Uh, I'm fortunate in that I, I have a, a, a good job that involves travel. Um, I have no children, and I have an extraordinarily tolerant wife. So that is really, I think, the, the sort of the key to being able to to travel around and see different golf courses in different places. You know, when you're not worrying about yeah, you're going to put your kid through school or, uh, you know, your wife is not in your ear constantly about taking her to, uh, to somewhere to a vacation. It, it's a lot easier to, uh, to, to go see these courses. Um, and then as far as the, sort of the second part of that question, I guess an access question. Um, I've been very lucky in that I've, I've met so many amazing people through golf. I, I cannot tell you how many people I've met over the last 15 years through golf that I now consider my dearest friends. 
And that network is a really useful tool uh, when you're specifically seeking out a certain course that you really want to see. Um, I was down in Florida last week, and uh, a very good buddy of mine, who is a member at a couple of clubs down south, was able to set up Seminole for us. Um, he knew that I really wanted to see it, uh, and he was kind enough to set it up for me without even asking. Um, I have found that people who love golf also happen to be some of the most generous people that I've ever uh, I've ever encountered, uh, and I think you'll you probably second this. People who love golf just want to, to be around and play golf and talk golf with other people who are nuts about the game like they are. Um, so if, if Kyle here is asking for advice on, on how to, to see courses or if there's a course that, that he might have an interest in, in playing, a big part of it is just putting yourself out there and meeting other people who love golf. I mean, you never know when you run into a guy who has a sweater on that, that has a logo of a course you recognize and you strike a, a conversation with him, you never know where that guy is, is a member at, and he might become a useful contact in the future. And more importantly than that, he might become a buddy that uh, joins your, your Sunday foursome, and, and later one of your friends, or a buddy who you, you go on golf trips with. I can't tell you how many golf trips I've gone on with people I, I hadn't met before we arrived at wherever we were going. Um, with golf, I just think it's such a communal game in that respect, and it's 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 really interesting to see how the more people you meet, the bigger your your sort of world gets, and your ability to see the places you want to see. Uh, and then, obviously, the, the the corollary to that is it's just important to be a generous person and somebody that people like to spend time with uh, in return. Um, I get contacted all the time by people who are coming to Philadelphia who might want to see certain courses or who might just ask me, hey, listen, I'm going to be in town for a couple of days. Where should I play? Uh, and I not only enjoy when people reach out to me and ask me those kind of questions, but if I can help in any way, I'm happy to do that. Uh, and I think that that kind, of, um, that kind of helping others really does lend itself to getting, to, to getting it returned to you uh, in, in one good way or another. So I just, the bottom line is this, you have to make yourself available, you have to, you have to go out and, and meet people, uh, and you got to be open to, to both playing with people that you don't know, getting comfortable in a situation where you're, you're the new guy in a group, and you really just have to have a taste for meeting people. I mean, that's both in, in business and in, in golf. Networking is such a key point and such a critical aspect of success that, uh, it's something that I don't think anybody can be too good at. Yeah. And uh, it's something that I enjoy doing. It's something that uh, meeting new people is always something I enjoy. So it's, uh, it's been good in that respect. And then, of course, luck. Uh, you know, it, it obviously entails a lot of luck to get on certain courses, as I'm sure your listeners know. Um, and, and certainly I've had very good fortune in that respect over the last couple, uh, couple of years. And it's, it's absolutely not something that I would ever take for granted. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're a, a golf junkie and you put yourself in the right situation and, you know, I think a big part about it is, like, you know, people want to take people out there that they know are going to enjoy the experience. Um, you know, it's not necessarily, like, I, I don't think the right reason is I'm, I'm checking one of the top 100 off my list. Like, that's not necessarily a good reason. 
but a great reason is like I want to go see the great architecture. Or I you know I I really want to like having a purpose and having a real like is something that I've found that you know you know is that I've found that you know I I write a lot about architecture and you know people want to show you the architecture of their golf course and you know I'm yeah. I don't I could give you know I could care less what number a golf course is on golf digest top 100 list um what i really want to see is the architecture like a perfect example is in your backyard a course i'm kind of dying to play is white marsh valley and i want to play there yeah it's george thomas's who for those of you that don't know uh it's his first design and it was and he's the same guy that designed uh bel-air riviera lacc north so you know, getting to see a, a, see uh, an architect's first design is you know something really cool. So that's a place that's really high on my list, and you won't find it on any top one hundred list. Um, you know, I think that that's an important aspect of you know getting the access places is that you're doing it for the right reasons. I could not agree with you more, uh, and not only that but I think that's exactly the kind of attitude that I'm talking about when, when you're, you're putting yourself out there I mean some of my most enjoyable rounds this year and, and in years past have been at courses that, that won't sniff uh, a golf magazine or, or a golf digest list and just in the last couple months alone Glens Falls is a course that, that I've been I've been putting a lot of photos out on Twitter and Instagram that place is incredible as far as the architecture is concerned mm-hmm. Country Club of Troy um, uh, oh, Lulu Orchard Lake out, out in out in uh, Michigan, amazing golf course, not on any top one hundred list, and, and that's really what I love. There is nothing that makes me happier than seeing a course that just surprises me to no end. And if you're if you're into that, you can be assured that there are members at courses who are golf nuts just like you and me who would love nothing more than for some enthusiastic golf nerd come out, check out their course, and talk to them about architecture over a beer. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that I, I find more joy in finding those gems, um, you know, that not a lot of people know about, but are just fantastic places to play golf. Um, and a lot of times, I mean, we the club, a, the clubs... We, we at, have a lot of yeah. them in Philly. Oh, yeah. I, I think, like, I, you know manufacturers is a perfect example yeah. of that um i played i i was blown away by apple brook out there i thought that yeah. was really good um it was yeah and it's you know there's a bunch of them in chicago too i mean there there are a bunch of them everywhere um i think that you know like a you know you look at all these places is a lot of times these golden age architects like you know maybe not highest thought of course in the area sometimes are you know the most fun to play because they aren't you know they aren't trying to be a championship golf course um they're trying to be a fun golf course yes and and i quite frankly i am not good enough to play a championship golf course the way it's supposed to be played but but i i am just about good enough to play a, a quirky funky Seth Rayner design that has the same length that it did in 1920 when they were using full hickories and a ball made out of bird feathers, you know? I mean, that's the kind of golf that appeals to me. I, I'm not going to be trying out for, for the, uh, you know, my tour card anytime soon, so 
the idea of a course being 7,500 yards and, and having rough that's six inches deep and greens that are running 15 doesn't appeal to me at all. But that weird little uh, golden age design that's barely been touched that is uh, in some neighborhood that nobody even drives through on their way to the, uh, the U.S. Open course down the street is exactly what I'm after when I'm going to a new city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you say, uh, so I, I'm curious, how do you go about scheduling, like, your year of trips, and, you know, how, you know, what are some of the new places that you're looking at for 2017 already? Good question. So, weather has a, a lot to do with it, um, as, a, as I'm sure you know, being uh, from the Chicago area. Once about December 15th hits here, it's probably a little earlier for you, golf is pretty much over. So from just about this time of year through the end of March, I'm just looking to get the hell out of here and go somewhere warmer. Um, ideally, there's going to be golf there. If there isn't, I will find it. But I, I am looking for warm weather destinations at this point in time. If I have a work trip that takes me somewhere where the temperatures are going to get over 60 in the winter, even better. But uh, if not, I'm still getting out of town. My wife and I usually try to go down to South Carolina every December, and obviously there's some great golf there. Um, but as long as I can get away to a couple warm weather spots this time of year, uh, I'll be happy. So During the summer months, it's really, it's really just about picking areas that have courses that I'm interested in. The other interesting thing is that my wife is a, uh, a big um, marathoner and triathlete, uh, and every year she tries to do one big race in some faraway location in the U.S. So, for example, she's got a big race in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, this coming August. So that's a great opportunity for me to go out there and play the, the courses in and around Cardaline, to go over and play Rock Creek Cattle, play Gaza Ranch, maybe even take a trip a little further west and play uh, Gamble Sands. You know, it, it, those are, are really nice things to have uh, that my wife and I can do together to you know make this thing seem more reasonable and all this crazy golf not lead to divorce. That's it. You but, know, it's um, got to be tough for her. It, it's training with that elevation. Yeah, she, uh, a lot of the things that uh, she, she does would, would, would kill a, uh, a lesser man like me. Um, <laughs> but uh, she's, uh, she's done great with it. She, she really loves it. And uh, the, the, the fact that we can jointly do a vacation to somewhere in the middle of nowhere that will allow me to play a couple rounds of golf at some really nice places while she gets to do something too, uh, and we get to see the, a new area of the country that we've never seen before. It's it's really a nice uh, a nice benefit of uh, of our little setup. That's cool. So, hey. uh, that, that'll be a, that'll, that'll definitely be a fun trip for this year. You know, it's one um, one out there that I've wanted to check out, and I've heard so much about is uh, Sylvie's Ranch. It's out in it's in Oregon. I think it's in like the eastern part of Oregon, and it's a uh, Dan Hickson. And it's uh-huh. it's a reversible course, so it was actually yeah. yeah. So he started it before Doak started the loop, um, right? Yeah. But like you know, there I I don't know what the deal with their ownership hasn't you know wasn't ready to do the resort yet, so they didn't you know the course is pretty much done though, which and it looks spectacular from the pictures I've seen. I, I would love to see it. I, I do know, I've heard of the course that you're, you're talking about. I don't know too much about it. I don't think much is out there about it. But that, that's exactly the kind of course that I would love to see out that way. Another one I'm looking at possibly seeing, uh, it's sort of in the middle of nowhere, is this place called Sutton Bay. 
which is in, uh, I think, South Dakota. Um, but uh, I just stumbled upon it the other day, and it just looked beautiful. It caught my eye, and now it's on my always-growing list of places that I would like to check out at some point or another. Yeah, my list gets, like, I think I add, like, four or five uh, to my list every day, and it's, it's just, it's, it's awful. If, if I could play half of my list between now and whenever I die, I will consider that a rousing success. So the list—it doesn't matter how much golf I play; the list always grows. So now that we're on your list, let's let's hear like you know what are what are the top five courses on that list that you haven't gotten to yet? On my wish list, uh, the number one is is without question Cypress Point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only I've only done one trip to the uh, the San Francisco, the Northern California area. Um, and I, I was very fortunate, and I got to play a lot of really great courses. But Cyprus is absolutely far and away uh, the number one course on my wish list, um, both domestically and abroad. I am dying to see it um, for reasons that we don't really need to get into because it's obvious to anybody who's ever picked up a club. Um, but that, that is a place that uh, yeah, I'm dying to play. Um, I'm also... Uh, hoping and planning to play Pine Valley in 2017. It's a little ridiculous given that it's 15 minutes from my uh, my house. Um, I've had it set up, I think, four times in the past, and through what is becoming an absolute comedy of circumstances, uh, the round has fallen through each time. Uh, Hurricane Sandy ruined one of the rounds. Um, poor member who had been so kind to invite me for one of the rounds actually died before we got a chance to play. Um, one time it snowed uh, on the day that we were supposed to play. So Pine Valley has become sort of the, uh, the white whale uh, locally, uh, and it's even more frustrating, like I said, since I can practically see it from my deck. Um, so that would be on the list. Um, I really want to see Sand Hills this year. Yeah. Uh, certainly the best modern that I've never seen. Um, way up there on my list is uh, Camargo which is probably the best uh, Seth Rayner course that I've seen. I'm a huge Stevie McDonald, Seth Rayner, Charlie Banks fan, um, and I've played, what I'll say, most of Seth Rayner's courses. But uh, Camargo is one that I have heard nothing but wonderful things about. Uh, so I'm very much looking that, forward to playing there. Best set of uh, template par threes of any uh, Rayner McDonald, they say. So... I've heard, I've heard the same thing. So, so for incredible. for the uh, for the audience out there, something that very few people, I, I think I'll, some people know, but you know, if if you are if you are good enough uh, to be able to uh, try and qualify for a USAM, every single year Camargo hosts the USAM qualifier. So for a hundred and fifty bucks to the USGA. You get a practice round and two other two tournament rounds at Camargo Country Club. Uh, so that's something that you know, if you are a golf architecture nerd and a good player, that should be something that's on a uh, on your uh, list of things to do. And from what I know about Camargo, I, I am not quite good enough to play in a USAM qualifier. But uh, if what I will say is, even having not played Camargo, but having heard so many good things about it, for $150, that's the kind of thing that I would absolutely plan a golf trip around. Yeah. If, uh, if any of your listeners have the handicap and the desire, 
um, I would I would certainly make that trip. Uh, and we could talk about this later, Andy. But Ohio is sort of the great untapped area for me. Uh, there are so many courses that I want to play in Ohio. Uh, it's one of the few areas that I haven't spent. I've spent almost no time in Ohio, and it is just chock full of dynamite classic courses with terrific architecture yeah. that I would love to see. So that I was trip amazed. to Ohio is on my list of 2017. I, I haven't played a ton in Ohio either, and I was amazed. Um, a buddy of mine was going to Cleveland for something. He asked me, hey, where should I play in Cleveland? So I you know, I was like, well, let me do some research, and I, I pulled it up. I mean, there's multiple Stanley Thompson designs. There's yep. tons of uh, Donald Ross. I mean, there are so many, and, and these are all public access courses. You know, the, yep. the city of Cleveland operates, I think, two Stanley Thompson designs and one or two Donald Ross designs that are supposed to be spectacular courses. It's, it's incredible, both on the public and private side, how much good golf Ohio has. And, and it's a crime that I haven't gotten out there, out there more than I, I, I have. I mean, I've driven through Ohio to go to Chicago, to go to Wisconsin, to go to Michigan several times. Uh, but I think I've played something like two courses in Ohio, and that's just ridiculous, given the quality of golf there. I know one place you've been. I think I'm uh, I'm going to do my USAM qualifier at Moraine Country Club in Dayton. So I heard. I know you went there this year, and you said it was great. It's amazing. It's that is exactly the kind of course that we were talking about earlier when we were talking about courses that aren't on any list. Uh, although I will say that it would not surprise me in the least to see Moraine pop up on a couple of those lists uh, in the near future now that Keith Foster's work there is done. But you talk about a golf course that is on an amazing piece of land that, that has a, a membership that, that cares about the course, cares about its history, cares about its pedigree and its original architecture, and and has both the means and the desire to, to get the course back to the way it was originally intended to be, uh, and you have a place like Moraine. It is incredible, and uh, I, I wholeheartedly co-sign your decision to do your qualifier there. You will love the golf course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, we have just the worst sites in uh, Illinois this year, so I'm just, I'm going to go out of state for I think all of them, um, and just find some cool courses. I think one of the mid-am sites is at Country Club of Fairfield, but I don't think I'm going to go out there a week before my wedding. I think I'd get probably <laughs> killed. I wouldn't be getting having a wedding if that happened. Uh, I, I will tell you, Country Club of Fairfield is awfully nice, but uh, since I want your wedding to go off well, I won't, uh, I won't tell you too much about it. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, you know, we've seen some, some drone pictures from you, and Drew is curious about... Uh, what kind of drone you use and he's uh, he just got a Phantom 3 Pro and uh, he's been kind of uh, hurt by the recent weather so I, I certainly feel Drew's pain um, I, I actually my, my prior drone to the one I'm using now is a Phantom 3 Pro like Drew's using and that's a terrific drone uh, I unfortunately crashed my drone uh, and um <laughs> One of the things I will tell you is uh, good luck getting a drone repaired anywhere in the uh, continental United States, uh, especially if it's a DJI drone like I use. Uh, they just There's nobody who will touch it. 
uh, and it's just not quite worth sending it all the way back to Japan to have it worked on. So having crashed that one, uh, I earlier this year, uh, before one of my trips, I went out and I got the, uh, the Phantom 4, uh, which is very much like the one Drew's using uh, with a couple extra features. But um, it's, a, it's a wonderful photography tool. It's a wonderful toy to play with, uh, especially if you are sort of a gadget geek like I think most photographers and most golfers are. Uh, they're a blast to play with. Um, and uh, I have been really, really thrilled with some of the photos that uh, I've managed to pull out of my drone this year. Uh, it's, been, it's been a good year for that, and uh, I think Drew's going to have a good time with his. They, they are they're really a blast to use. And they're, they're just perfect for golf photography. I mean, the nature of a golf course lends itself to those those elevated perspective photos like nothing else. Uh, it's, it's just a great tool if you're looking to capture golf courses from an interesting perspective. So. Yeah, I've been kicking around the idea of getting one. I feel like I just really miss out on getting like, you know, I think Chris Spence does a great job getting like green uh, undulations with his drone shots. And yes. I mean, whenever I look at yes. yours, I just am like, God, I, I want one of these. But it's, it's a lot of fun. I will. I'll just recommend that you know don't spend a lot of money on your first one because you will almost certainly crash it. Um, <laughs> almost a guarantee. Um, but I, anybody who asks me whether they should get a drone, my my response is always the same. If you can afford it and you think you might want one, get it because you you'll really enjoy using it. Uh, even if you don't use it for golf that much, they're just a blast to send up and fly around and and get an interesting perspective on uh, on things that you wouldn't otherwise have. They're, they're a lot of fun, and while, while they're certainly not, they're not cheap, you can get, especially nowadays, you can get a really high-quality drone that's going to give you really good performance and really good pictures for a, a very reasonable price. I think you can get a Phantom 3 these days for something like 500 bucks, which, you know, $500 is a lot of money, but that's around the Pebble Beach, you know, for a drone that you're going to have until you end up crashing it. So if, if you're interested... <laughs> until it meets its death. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and like I said, some of the uh, the photos and the courses that I've been able to shoot this year with the drone uh, have, have really turned out well. And I just figured out how to fly with my drone, too. So now when I travel by air, I can take it with me and, uh, and shoot some courses that... Uh, Aren't, uh, aren't near Philly. So I'm looking forward to doing that in 2017. Especially, by the way, if I can get, uh, if I can find myself a, a way to Sand Hills and Ballingill and those other courses. Oh, God. Example, I would love to shoot those with a drone. Wow, would they come out looking neat. Yeah, I've been thinking about doing that trip, um, too. I, um, you know, it's just, it's going to be a week, but, you know, they go out there and do uh, prairie clubs out there, too, which is supposed to be a really, really good facility. And uh, Bally Neal, Sand Hills. Um, Dismal yeah, Dismal Rivers right there. I mean, I guess right there isn't that good of a description, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you get into when you get into sand hills, like three hours is like right around the corner. That qualifies as next door in that part of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, Michael is, and this is a place that's high on my list of places to check out. You know, he's trying to get you to to see Culver, 
He wants to know what does it take, you know? Uh, Michael, all it takes is uh, warm weather and a, uh, a message on what day works for you. I would love to see Culver. That place looks incredible. Yeah. Especially after the work they've done there. I mean, I, I have an affection for nine-hole courses. Actually, I, I, for, for non-traditional courses, whether they're you know nine holes, whether it's a course like Bandon Preserve, 13-hole par three course. I love seeing courses that don't fit the traditional 18-hole, par 72, you know, 6,800-yard model. Um, and, and Culver looks like a place that has nailed that model down uh, in close to perfection. It just looks amazing. I would love to see it, and uh, I'll certainly tell Michael that uh, it will not take much to uh, to get me out there. Well, you know, they've got they they the course was done by one of the most underrated. Uh, architect uh, duos of all time, Langford Moreau, and those guys were, you know, Brainer uh, McDonald's disciples. Uh, we see a ton of their work here in Chicago, but not a lot of people know of them outside of, uh, you know, kind of the Midwest, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, Indiana. So they great architects. Um, another nine-hole spot that I saw this year that was, you know, blew me away was Sweeten's Cove. So, yeah, I would highly recommend a uh, Chattanooga trip because there's a lot of good golf Sweetens in that Cove, city. It, yeah, there there really is. And Tennessee, like Ohio, is an area that I, I really have to get to. Uh, you know, Lookout Mountain is down there, mm-hmm. which is uh, for for your listeners is another Rainer course that uh, I haven't seen but would absolutely love to. Uh, Sweden's Cove is most definitely on my list. Everybody I know that's played there just raves about the place. Uh, you know, I've seen photos. They look incredible. Everything about the place is just screaming out for a visit. Um, and, of course, in Tennessee, then you have the uh, the big dogs like Honors Course. Um, and then uh, certainly down in Atlanta, there's a couple others that there yeah. are obviously. Yeah, there's, a, there, there's another course, Black Creek there that's a yeah, sil- a Brian yeah. Brian Silva design that you know is is modeled after Rainer McDonald too that's is supposed to be really good so and then that as well. then there's a course in Knoxville Holston Hills that yeah that yeah. was that was an awesome awesome place I uh, I've heard people have told me that Holston Hills is one of the purest Rosses they've ever played oh yeah it's it's like so the cl- it's an interesting story the club. Um, was always on the wrong side of the tracks. So essentially when, you know, golf was in its death period um, of architecture, they didn't have any money to plant trees and mess it up. So now they have, you know, one of the primo Ross courses in, in all of the country. I mean, this place is so playable. It's so fun. I mean, They've got a one of the coolest volcano holes that you'll ever see. It's like a 300-yard uphill par four. Um, just, I mean, it, it is a great, great golf course. I can't wait to see it. A buddy of mine uh, is a member there. Um, so maybe we'll have to add the uh, Tennessee uh, area to uh, the winter, the list of winter destinations. I don't think because, it's... Uh, it, it's there's, there's certainly a lot of golf down there. And it, I don't think it's not that far if you do it in the if you know it, I it, it's not that far from Ohio and you know or Atlanta. Chattanooga's only I think two hours from Atlanta. So I always tell yeah. people if you're if you're a golfer and you live within like 
five hours of Sweetened Cove, you should go there like once every two months. So I think that's good advice based on what I've heard. Yeah, I like I've I've had multiple days where I've just thought about getting in my car and going there, and it's nine hours away. But yeah, I know that feeling. Believe <laughs> me, I know that feeling, especially this time of year. I, I have done some crazy things on random December and January days where I just need golf, and I'd say, "All right, well, I'm getting in the car at three in the morning, and I'm driving south, and, and you know, I'm going to Pinehurst, or I'm, I'm going to South Carolina, or whatever." And you, know, you play 36 holes, stay overnight, play another round or two, and drive home. I mean, that, that's sort of the way we uh, we northern folk get in the, uh, the wintertime. Yeah. So um, let's get another one of these questions here. Um, this is from Chris Butler. What golf course features are easiest to capture well with a smartphone, and how do we do it? I think we touched on some of this okay. a little bit earlier, but I think this uh, this will be a good question. So let me let me capture the smartphone. Let me talk to the smartphone part first. Smartphones these days are so good that anything somebody can do with a camera, you can do almost just as well with a smartphone. You do not need a, 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 what we'll call a real camera to take good photos of golf courses. You just don't. The iPhone cameras, the new Google smartphone, uh, and and any Samsung phone, the camera is easily good enough to serve as a, a golf course camera. Um, and that's without exception. So the question is really what course features can we capture? So the, the biggest difference with a smartphone uh, is the, the sensor is smaller uh, and there's no zoom. So what most people, at least in my humble opinion, uh, sort of mess up when they're, they're trying to take photos of a golf course with a smartphone is that they're, they're too far away from the, the features they're trying to capture. And like I was saying earlier, that's where you get that, that tee shot photo where you know you can kind of see the beginning of the fairway and as you get closer to the green everything's getting small and then the green is like a speck way out in the distance and you don't really get a, a perspective on how the hole actually looks you can't really see any features because everything is sort of minimized uh, so the number one recommendation i would give to people if they're shooting with a smartphone is to find something about a given hole or a given course that's interesting and then get up close and shoot it uh, whether that is a, a, a roll of the green, whether it's a bumper feature, whether it's an element of the terrain that they, they think is curious or unique or they think might look nice, get up close to it and, and capture it as best you can. My Really, the only rule that I have for, for taking golf course photos, uh, and this is not a rule that anybody needs to follow, but I think it's a good, uh, a good point of reference, is so long as you can see the pin in your photo, you're gonna have a usable photo. So with a smartphone, what I like to do, and I shoot with a smartphone all the time, is to, to, to especially get up by the green and shoot the way a bunker is arrayed with the pin in the background, or get down real low and shoot a picture from almost ground level so you can see how the green either slopes upward front to back or how it rolls in certain spots. Um, but you really need to be close to what you're shooting with a smartphone, otherwise, you're gonna have a picture that, that is distorted in terms of the, the real way a hole looks. And it, frankly, it's just not gonna be that interesting because you're not gonna be able to make out any detail. That's really what I think makes a good golf photo is a photo that, that makes you feel like you're actually standing there and looking at whatever the, the photographer is trying to show you. And you just can't do that from far away with a smartphone. Um, 
so as long as you're, you're up close and you're you're shooting things from a, a compelling angle or from a from a compelling height, you're going to end up with a good photo. The other thing you got to be aware of with a photo is that, or with a smartphone, is that the photos are going to be much more sensitive to the way the light is hitting the camera. So if you're shooting into the sun with a regular smartphone camera, the picture's not going to come out well. So you got to move to a spot where you're not you're not shooting directly into the sun. Um, a lot of phones these days have an HDR mode, a high dynamic range mode that will allow you to uh, balance out and equalize the, uh, the, the light uh, and the shadow in a picture with a smartphone. And given the limitations of the smartphone, this can be a really useful feature. Uh, I would recommend everybody who shoots with a smartphone play with it a little bit. Uh, iPhone has it native in the camera app, but there are also third party apps that uh, you can use. Uh, the only caution I would give people who are trying it is it's really easy to get carried away with it and end up with a very fake looking photo or a uh, almost a cartoonish looking photo if you uh, if you go overboard. But if it's used correctly, it can really be a nice tool for somebody with a smartphone where the sensor might not be as uh, as capable of capturing the, the differing light conditions that we see on a golf course. But uh, again, that was a long-winded way of answering a, a relatively simple, simple and straightforward question, but. The most important thing is get up close to whatever you're shooting if you shoot with a smartphone. Yep, that's a great piece of advice. One that I'm actually going to take to heart because I am so guilty of what you uh, talk about with shooting with a smartphone and just taking a picture of a really long haul from the tee. I do it. I do it all the time, and it's amazing because I'll I'll be standing on a tee with my phone and looking down at a hole and thinking, this really looks amazing. And I'll shoot the photo, and you know, I'll do it a couple more times. I'll get home, and I can't wait to look at these photos that I got. And I'll pull them up, and it doesn't even look like the same hole that I was standing on because the perspective is so is so minimized because of the way the smartphone cameras look. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that point, that's really, like I said, you certainly don't need what I refer to as a real camera to shoot golf course photos. Um, but one of the nice things that uh, a real camera like the Sony uh, has that can be a really useful tool in, in shooting golf courses is the zoom function. Um, not only because it allows you to artificially get closer to whatever you're shooting, but because it allows you to, to play with the depth of field and the perceived depth of the background in photos. So you zoom in and not only do, do you make the things bigger in your photo, but because the, the, the angle of your shot decreases, it really pulls the background in closer. So you can get closer to what it actually looks like to your eyes standing there when you have that capability. But because most smartphones only have a, a, a digital zoom function, uh, which is worse than worthless, I, I never recommend using that feature. Um, it's harder to, to to mimic that real life viewpoint that you uh, that you can do with a, uh, a camera that has more capability. So parlaying off this, uh, Rob has a question. Um, you know he he loves the setting sun and that you know he thinks it, you know it's difficult to get the right you know capture of it so what what are your tricks for uh you know those pictures the last hour of sunlight yeah and some of those pictures are are the best pictures to take but they are tricky uh, so that's a really good question from rob um there are a couple ways to go about it uh, if we're talking smartphone, um, 
the HDR function is a, a really good function when you're shooting into the setting sun. Otherwise, what you'll end up with a lot of times is, you know, you can you can you can expose your shot for the sky, and you'll get a really beautiful sunset, but the the golf hole will be black. Mm -hmm. It'll just be shadowed out. Or you can expose for the golf hole, and it will come up nice, but this beautiful sunset that your eyeball sees will be completely whited out and overexposed. So the HDR function sort of merges those two things together, and you end up with a photo that hopefully is at least close to properly exposed, both for the light and the dark. Um, the process for the camera is, is very similar to that. By the way, you can also create the HDR photos after the fact with software, but for the most part, the, the, the apps and the camera features that uh, cameras have nowadays usually makes that process unnecessary, but it's possible. But that's, I guess, a little more advanced for us, you know, than us lowly golf course photographers really need to know about. I don't do it. Um, if you're shooting with a real camera, and this goes for not only setting sun shots, but all shots, you want to make sure that your camera is set up the way it needs to be and properly for the shot that you're trying to take. Um, people ask me all the time, well, what camera should I buy for taking golf course photos? Uh, and, and there are plenty of answers that, that will get somebody a, a wonderful camera for, for golf photos. The thing I always tell them is whatever camera you get, just make sure you learn how to use it. Um, people expect to, to, a lot of times, be able to pop them out of the box like a smartphone camera and immediately rip off these great photos. But you really just need to learn how to use the camera and how to set it up properly for the different shots that you're going to encounter. And uh, to, to Rob's point, I have a... a, a memory slot on my camera set up for exactly the kind of shots that he's talking about so that when I end up on a hole that the sun is setting behind and we have this beautiful scene in front of us, rather than having to tinker with everything and set the camera up the way it needs to be set up to get a good photo, I can just click a button and be ready to go. Um, you can use HDR mode in camera or after the fact with regular cameras too. Um, I think they, they tend to be much more natural looking than a lot of the uh, cell phone cameras uh, will look when using that mode. Uh, so that is a good way to do it. And then the, the probably the, the most useful way to get really good um, shots into the setting sun is with editing after the fact, with post-processing. Um, we haven't really talked about that because it's something that I absolutely despise doing. I hate editing my photos after the fact. It takes so much time, uh, and it's it's not all that fun for me. I like shooting the photos, but I hate playing with them, so I, I avoid it. Um, I also don't use a computer. My, my workflow is from camera to iPad to wherever I'm sharing the photos, so I'm limited in what software I have access to, uh, and I also shoot JPEG as opposed to RAW. But if you are really looking to get some great photos of the setting sun into the setting sun on a golf course, I, I guess my recommendation would be shoot with a real camera, shoot with the highest dynamic range your camera will allow you to shoot with, uh, and ideally shoot in raw mode so that after the fact you can tinker with the photo uh, to the maximum extent possible and darken up the, uh, the overexposed areas and brighten up the underexposed areas and hopefully end up with a balanced photo that, you, uh, that you're happy with. Um, like I said, there are a lot of ways to go about it. None of them is uh, is right or wrong or any better than the other. But um, it's 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 tricky photo to get right, and an easy photo to uh, 
to, to capture an, an overblown cartoonish image on or, or one that's just simply unusable. So those are the, uh, the methods that I use. Um, and I've had some success, but I've also had some failures. I mean, sometimes no matter how hard you try, no matter how well you set up the camera, and no matter how hard you push it in editing after the fact, it just doesn't come out. Um, and that's kind of the nature of, uh, of the uh, trial and error. Yeah, it's, uh, I think everybody's been there just you know frustrated with the you know you see something that's just absolutely epic and there's just no way to get it feel like you know you're in the moment again um i completely agree and by the way on that point that's another uh, you, you bring up a great point there if you are standing there looking at that epic moment and you really want to capture it don't just shoot one photo fire off a bunch change your settings a little bit try something you never tried before when we're dealing with digital cameras here. There's really no such thing as having too many photos. It's much better to get home with 20 photos of this epic shot you thought you had and have 19 of them be worthless but one be usable than to take one that you thought was set up perfectly, realize you didn't account for something, and get home and have a totally worthless one-shot image of this amazing scene. So take multiple, you get multiple cracks at it with a digital camera, use them. Yeah. Um, so... Let's, um, Eric Benz has a good question here. Um, I think this is a great one. I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, golf travel people that tend to focus on, you know, the high-end resorts and everything. But, like, you know, a lot of the great courses um, are these hidden gems and, you know, public courses that are under 100 bucks to play that, you know, you love. So what are some of your favorite uh, you know, courses and across the country that are public and under a hundred bucks. And I'll, I'll give some Great of mine too. Great question. Um, I don't know if this counts or if this is cheating, but I think the absolute best value in golf is the replay rate at Bandon Dunes. Um, if you go at the right time of year, you can play 36 holes of golf there and the second round is going to cost you something on the order of $75. I think the first round might be $125. There is no better value, in my opinion, in public golf than, than that deal. Um, I don't know. I've never been to Bandon in the summer. I know the rates go up a little. Uh, but certainly in spring, and I believe in fall, you can go out there and get those rates. And uh, I just don't think you can possibly find a better deal in golf. Uh, and that goes for a lot of high-end resort courses. I mean, it doesn't necessarily apply at places like you know, Whistling Straits, which is expensive, or Pinehurst. But uh, I will tell you that at a place like Kiowa Island, um, the Ocean Course, which is one of the first great courses I ever played and a place that I try to play every year when I go down to, uh, to Kiowa, uh, if you play the Ocean Course uh, in December on a weekday after something like 1 o'clock, it's... 70 bucks. You carry your own bag. You don't have to worry about a caddy. That's a great deal. Um, so a lot of the resort courses, if you if you are careful about what time you're, you're able to play uh, in the day and what time of year, you can get some really great deals. Um, and I do that all the time. Uh, I, I love a good deal as much as anybody. And that's a great way to, uh, to get some. Um, in Philadelphia, there's a lot of uh, really classic great courses that can be had very cheaply. Lulu Country Club is a place that uh, around here that just went semi-private. Uh, it used to be a private country club and now it's open to uh, the public. 
during certain days and times. Uh, I played there earlier uh, in the or late in the fall, I guess it was the end of November, and I think it cost me $50. Uh, and this is a, a wonderful, quirky, well-preserved, decently conditioned, total Ross gem that uh, anybody who's into architecture would absolutely adore. Uh, and it's, it's really cheap for what you're seeing. My uh, my uncle so was are, uh, my uncle was the head pro out there for about thirty years. So I I love Lulu. Okay. Yeah, great world. great golf course. Um, it's terrific, right? I mean, you don't get you don't get those kind of courses anymore because they've always been altered or updated or modernized. And here's a Ross where the, the club was perfectly content with it and just sat on it for. Uh, 80 or 90 years, and it, it exists now almost in the same state that it did when Ross, uh, when Ross built it. Yeah, I think um, it's, it, I, from what I've been able to tell on Twitter, they're they're putting a lot of money in it, a good, good new ownership, so that's a place that should just get better um, with time. Couldn't agree more. Um, and then as far as the, the rest of the question, it's really it's just a matter of being willing, at least in my opinion, to go off the beaten path a little bit. Yeah. You know, your your high-end resorts where the demand is high and people with disposable income are staying there are going to cost more money naturally. You know, there's a reason why Pebble Beach can keep its greens fee at 550 bucks or, or whatever they're getting these days. They charge it because people will pay it. But the further away you go from the, the major cities, the further away you go from the, uh, the high-end resorts, the, the better your chances are of getting a uh, a great deal on a terrific public golf course uh, for for less than hundred bucks, and there are a ton of them out there. Uh, one that I played this year um, was out on uh, Cape Cod called Highland Links, another nine holer like we talked about earlier. Full fescue everywhere. This place hasn't been touched since they originally laid it on, on the ground back in. I want to say something like 1920 um and it's terrific uh, you, you can carry your own bag there all day long play wonderful golf and it'll cost you 35 bucks or, or something like that it's, it's an amazing place these kind of courses are are around and frankly there's usually at least one of them in, in or near every major city uh in the country you just have to be willing to look a little deeper and do a little more research uh, to be able to find what's out there yeah, I think a good practice is to uh, well, one one architect in particular. You can usually find Donald Ross courses everywhere. He designed four hundred and twenty-five of them. So there are um, uh, the Donald Ross Society has a full listing, but a lot of them are public. I find you know that's usually a pretty good bet um, to if you're looking for a course with good bones. They aren't always in the greatest shape, but the bones are there. They're fun. Um, you know, a good example of that in Chicago, there's a course called Ravislow Country Club. Um, it's on the south side of the city. It's an old country club that's now public. That's a great golf course um, to play. A uh, one up in, you know, this is an awesome trip. And John, this is this one should be very high on your radar. Is um, Sand Valley, um, but right 45 minutes from Sand Valley is a place called Lasonia. And it's uh, designed by Langford Moreau. It's probably one of the best golf courses in all of the Midwest. Um, probably, I would say, top 30 golf course in the entire Midwest. 
and it is I think I want to say like 90 bucks to play and the replay rate is around 30 so that place I mean you could play there all all the time um, and then you know 45 minutes away you also have Sand Valley where they're building these courses that's gonna be a little bit more expensive but um, you know in that hour area you have uh, four world-class golf courses now with the new David Kidd design. Um, a couple others I like are Bellevue at Biltmore, which is down in like the Tampa area. It's a cool little Donald Ross uh, public course. Um, you know, Sweetens Cove, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, there's a bunch. Um, you know, that's that's a whole blog post in itself. Uh, best best values in golf. Absolutely, and I, I tell you, I, I've heard nothing but good things about Lasonia. Um, I, I'd love to uh, to see that place sometime soon. Uh, I, when I was in Chicago in uh, early November, uh, I actually I didn't have a chance to play it in that time, but uh, I actually drove into uh, Ravislow, got out, walked around a little bit. That place looks incredible. Oh. That that is a course that is absolutely on my list for my next trip to Chicago. It's a great example. Um, in the Philly area again, since that's my uh, neck of the woods. A great uh, place to head for uh, for relatively low cost public golf is uh, the Atlantic City Shore area. Um, Atlantic City Country Club is a dynamite course. Saturday morning uh, during the summer, they're probably getting easily into the three figures. But again, if you're willing to play it in the afternoon on a random Tuesday, uh, you can get an afternoon rate for for well under a hundred dollars. There's uh, Twisted Dune is a, a really enjoyable course down there. Same thing. Uh, so as long as you're flexible with with your schedule and when you're willing to play, there are there are certainly good deals out there to be had. Cool. So you know, I want to be conscious of your time. It's it's very late now on the East Coast. Um, before we get you out of here, I'm just going to hit you with some quick hitter questions. Um, okay. All right. Favorite architect. I will try not to be too long-winded. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, a favorite favorite architect. Favorite architect, C.B. McDonald's uh, and Seth Rain. Okay. Um, if you had to play one golf course the rest of your life, which course would it be? National Golf Links. All right. That's a good. That's number one on my list of places to go see. Um, so uh, with that, um, what are the three courses you're most excited to see in 2017? Uh, Cypress Point is uh, is definitely the uh, the top on that list. Um, I, I yeah. think I want to throw Pine Valley in there, but yeah. uh, I'm not real sure about that, uh, given the uh, the unfortunate history that I've had with it. So uh, <laughs> let, let's you know let's leave that one out for now. We'll say Cypress Point. We'll say Sand Hills. We'll say Camargo. Okay, those are three strong choices. Um, and then uh, we'll go with. What was the place that blew your socks off most in uh, 2016? And meaning that I had, you know, you didn't have any expectations going in, and you walked out of there like, wow. Uh, that would either be Glens Falls uh, mm-hmm. up in New York, um, Orchard Lake outside of Detroit, which absolutely blew me away. Um, or and I know I'm cheating by giving you multiple answers here, but. Uh, or it would be Black Sheep outside of uh, Chicago, which I played, I, I actually 
stumbled out that way because I had a little extra time after a morning round uh, and uh, I had a choice to, to either go back to the conference that I was out there for or uh, go see Black Sheep, figured what the heck, went out, played Black Sheep, played all 27 holes one afternoon in high winds and absolutely loved the place. I, I thought it was just incredibly fun modern golf. Man, that's what, I haven't gotten out there and I'm kind of jealous now. It's yeah. in the middle of nowhere, like I said, and it was not on my list of places to see. It was not something I was planning to do. It was literally a, a spur-of-the-moment decision, and, uh, man, what a good decision. It really uh, knocked my socks off as a perfect description. I had a blast. It's, just, it's golf like it's supposed to be. Fun, uh, you know, neat features you don't see anywhere else, very unique design, especially given the property they had. Uh fantastic in every way great place. Yeah. the architect there David Essler might be one of the best modern architects that nobody knows about I agree I, I didn't know about him until I saw Black Sheep but he is certainly a guy who I look for now he did all the bunkering at Ravislow too he, he did a restoration there so I, he did a restoration at uh, Olympia Fields didn't he um he I know South, he, South he did he did Glenview Club. Um, I'm not sure about Olympia Fields, but he did Glenview Club, which is a uh, a Flynn up in on the North Shore. And I want to say he did Skokie too. I'm not positive okay. about that, but he did it. He has he has a couple good projects. I mean that, and I've heard great things about Black Sheep. So, um, and then uh, all right, last question. It's a, it's a tough one. Best golf city or metro area, golf metro area in America. So the way we're going to define this is you have a within an hour driving of the city center. Great question. And I like the way you defined it because that definition can really alter the, uh, the, the reasoning here. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, within an hour of the metro center, to me, it's it comes down to... Uh, Philly, New York, Boston, Chicago, L.A., and San Francisco. Those are the six contenders, right? I think you, you, you probably have to eliminate San Fran as good as the golf out there is because an hour doesn't get you all the way down to Monterey. You, know, you, mm-hmm. you capture Tiempo there, but there are a lot of great courses within that hour, but I don't think it quite matches up to the others. Same thing with L.A. As great as the high-end courses are in L.A., some of the ones that, that I really like are outside that hour radius, so it's sheer numbers game. You just don't have enough super high-end courses for L.A. to uh, to be in the conversation. So with your definition in mind, I think it's a really close fight between Boston, Chicago, and Philly. Um, and because I can't really make the decision, uh between those three, I'll, uh, I'll go with Philly just because it's my hometown. But man, is there a lot of great courses within an hour downtown Chicago. And I'll tell you, Boston, I mean, you got Myopia, Essex, Salem, Catansit, the two moderns at Old Sandwich and uh, Boston Golf Club. Then you got all the way out on the Cape that I think you could reach in an hour, places like Eastport Ho. Uh, you got Whitensville, you know, you got Hyannisport. It's amazing how many great golf courses there are in Boston. But I eliminate Boston because the playing season is shorter. So in the end, it's Philly versus Chicago. I'm a Philly guy. I know you're a Chicago guy. So I'm going to go with Philly. I'm going to 
I'm pretty sure you're going to say Chicago. No. I went out to Philly. I had two golf trips out there, and a Philly, a Philly in my mind takes the cake. I, uh, it's it, the depth at Philly is just so much yeah. stronger than I think Chicago. Like a perfect example is White Marsh Valley. You know, like right. that. That I mean, eh, Chicago's really good though too. It, and New York's eliminated because Long Island is too far right. from the city center. So I think exactly. And, and look, there's still a boatload of great golf within an hour of downtown New York. But I just, without those those Southampton courses and, and the, the courses further out on Long Island, you just, you know, it, it's close. But if, uh, if you, you take those away from New York, uh, again, I just don't think it can compete on depth. Yeah. In Philly, at the high end, obviously, we have you got Marion, Pine Valley, uh, Aronimink, Gulf Mills. The high end here is really, really Philly strong. Cricket. Philly Cricket is another great one. How um, how is the, the, is there the are there fifty courses better than Philly Cricket Club? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Are there fifty courses in America that are better than Philly Cricket Club? If you're asking me that question, I'd be hard pressed to give you fifty. Yeah. Um, especially now that Foster's restoration is done, Philly Cricket Club is a phenomenal golf course now, and I'm a big Tillinghast fan. And what Foster did there to bring that Tillinghast back out of that golf course is just tremendous. That that place is absolutely outstanding right now. Yeah, I mean, that's when I realized how good Philly golf was, was when a course I played that I barely, you know, I had heard about it from, you know, the, the senior event and the club pro event out there. But then I get out there and I'm I'm trying to think I'm like you know if this is in Chicago it's it's probably top three golf course in Chicago and here you know they have it between you know five and seven. That being said, rankings are a load of crap since of Shore Acres is ranked the number seven course in Chicago and which, you know. is, <laughs> which is really all you need to know about <laughs> the uh, the ranking systems because that's about as crazy as it gets. Shore Acres is one of my favorite places on earth. There's, there's, uh, there's not a place that I've found better. So it's, uh, we'll see this summer. After this summer, I'm gonna play a lot of great courses, but we'll see if it still stands up. But it, there's not many places that there's a better, you know, three and a half hour walk around than Shore Acres in the world. I could not agree with you more. That place is just lovely in every respect. Yeah. Um, all right, John, really appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, it's it's almost midnight recording this in uh, in Philly. So he's staying up late for us. Um, I'll, uh, I appreciate uh, the time and I'll link uh, John's Twitter and Instagram handles in the uh, podcast post so you guys can go on and uh, follow him if you don't already. Thanks a lot, John. No, Andy, thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, I always love talking golf with a fellow golf nut, so uh, anytime.